The Earth's crust has rifts in it, and where such breaks occur, one finds volcanoes and earthquakes. This is not exactly news to those of us living on the U.S. West Coast. A ring of fire is said to rim the entire Pacific Ocean with extensions into Asia and westward. That was known for centuries, but in the past 50 years we've come to understand through plate tectonics that the continents really do move about slowly on the surface of the planet. It's slow indeed, the rate of fingernails growing on average. While it's slow, it's not a steady process. Sudden lurches along faults produce earthquakes like the 2004 Indonesian event or that in San Francisco in 1906. As these plates glide about, hot spots from deep in the earth produce volcanoes and explosions of various magnitudes. In Hawaii, the process is fairly gentle. When Mount St. Helens blew apart, on the other hand, it pulverized a cubic kilometer of rock into ash. But there exist occasional explosions which are so overwhelming that the whole biosphere of our planet is altered. They're called supervolcanoes, and their effects have quite literally changed the course of human evolution. Dr. John Savino has co-authored with Marie Jones a book on the fascinating topic of these mega explosions. It's appropriately titled Supervolcano. Dr. Savino is a geophysicist with the U.S. Department of Energy and has reviewed research conducted by Earth scientists. He's participated in the DOA's public outreach program delivering presentations on earthquakes and volcanoes. We're glad to have him join us to discuss Supervolcano, the catastrophic event that changed the course of human history. Dr. John Savino, welcome to Radio Parallax. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Happy to be here. Well, Dr. Savino, the idea that uh, sudden events could cause massive global change was resisted for years uh, by, by geologists. They noted that uh, most processes tend to be gradual and to cite catastrophe was sort of uh, likened to invoking divine intervention. But we, we know for certain now that dramatic things do happen suddenly. Yes, indeed. That, that outlook has really changed and changed very much so since the early 1980s. Actually, it was the Alvarez team of father and son up in Berkeley who first proposed that the dinosaurs at the end of the Cretaceous 65 million years ago were wiped, suddenly wiped out by a meteorite strike or an asteroid strike in the Yucatan Peninsula. And boy, at first they were slammed. <laughs> they were literally slammed by the geologists at the time were proposing such a catastrophic event. They simply, the prevailing geologists, didn't like that. But uh, there's been a lot of evidence to support that, and we've been accumulating a lot of evidence for other very catastrophic events. And in fact, the one of the main topics of the book that uh, Marie and I put together was about the Toba eruption 74,000 years ago, which you mentioned some of these catastrophic events can have an extremely important impact on life and the evolution of life. The Toba eruption 74,000 years ago occurred in the island of Sumatra in Indonesia. It was approximately 5,000 times larger than the May 1980 Mount St. Helens event just to give you a kind of a, a size or a scale of size here. And what happened after that event, and there's quite a bit of evidence that supports this, was for something like five to 10 years, the global average temperature dropped between 10 and 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And in fact, temperatures in the tropical zones on either the south, southern por portion of the hemisphere or the northern portion perhaps even drop more. 
And that, indeed, perhaps acted as a trigger for a, a millennium ice age. But it was that initial drop in temperature that apparently, based on DNA mitochondrial studies by several groups, reduced the human population from about 100,000 to perhaps as low as 2,000. Had there been anything else going on in the way of virus attacks or whatever, we could have come very close to extinction. It's a really fascinating part about your book and, the, and this recent research that it, it combines so many elements of different areas of scientific endeavor. Human, human genetics is looking backward and saying, gee, it looks as though there isn't that much uh, variation in the human population. I know that uh, recent articles have pointed out that chimps, even though they have only a fraction of human population, are much more varied than, than people. Exactly. The amount of variation in the humans, given about 6 billion or plus, is amazingly small. You're, you're exactly right there. And the studies point to a bottleneck about 70,000 years ago. That is, the human population went through that squeezing down, that neck, about that time. And it's been thought that Toba, the super eruption or super volcano, with its drastic effects on climate and possibly one other very important effect, depletion of the ozone layer, caused the decrease in the human population. If it indeed, and the evidence is beginning to accumulate that it did, deplete the ozone layer, then those poor folks at that time were being bombarded by ultraviolet B radiation, which today we all put sunscreen on and we try to protect ourselves from that. They were subjected to it without even realizing it. It's hard to put a 5,000 Mount St. Helens into perspective, but there were a couple of events in the 19th century which larger than Mount St. Helens. Let's talk a little bit about Krakatoa in 1883 and the even larger Tambora in 1815 and what they did to Earth's climate. We spent a chapter looking at historical eruptions, and the main reason we looked at them was to try to extrapolate to something as large as Toba. But yes, indeed, 1815, Tambora. That was probably 50 to 100 times smaller than Toba, and yet it produced the year without a summer, the northern hemisphere. But it was also responsible for such things as the novel Frankenstein, <laughs> also the bicycle. It, it, it had some beneficial side effects, but it also wiped out probably more than 100,000 people, many of them due to famine in Ireland, a big famine there. And that, that's coming about because of the cold temperatures just destroying the agricultural output of the northern hemisphere countries. They called it in New England the year without a summer. The year without a summer, exactly. And uh, Krakatoa in 1883 was smaller than Tambora, but again, a, a, you know, a, a violent, explosive eruption. That was on the order of 100 to 200 times smaller than Toba. And again, Tambora and Krakatoa are along the Indonesian arc, the same general location as Toba. Krakatoa produced some very violent effects, a very large tsunami in the immediate area of the volcano itself, and one of the loudest sounds ever recorded around the world. And we estimate in our book that within 100 miles of that volcano, people would have 
their eardrums would have burst from the intensity of the sound. Well, we're, of course, familiar with Indonesian uh, events with the, uh, the earthquake in 2004 and that subsequent tsunami, but uh, these volcanic explosions were, wreaked much more havoc. Yes. You know, the interesting thing about the 2004 earthquake, a big subduction zone earthquake, it is the same subduction zone that eventually feeds the volcanic complex beneath Toba. Let me take a sidelight here for a second. You, I was surprised to learn in your book that uh, this has been suspected for a long time, that volcanoes could affect climate, that the ancient writers Plutarch and Seneca guessed correctly that an eruption of Sicily's Mount Etna had cooled Italy off. Of That was back in 44 B.C., caused some crop failures. And then our own Ben Franklin read a paper to a scientific body in Manchester, England in 1784, surmising that the dry fog, as he described it over Europe, was either from a large meteor or an Icelandic volcano. And in retrospect now, we know that Ben was right, and, and Iceland was indeed the culprit. Very insightful. Yes, amazing scientist given his time. Really amazing. Yeah, he called that one right. And it, it turns out a, a lot of the uh, Icelandic eruptions, while they can sometimes start out as relatively effusive eruptions, can also have a mix of explosive eruptions added in. Nothing on the scale of Toba, or nothing even on the scale, I believe, of Krakatoa or Tamboa. But they last for a very long time, because Iceland is part of the Mid-Atlantic Ridge with a tremendous supply of magma that can just go on for months, the eruptions. You're looking back at Toba has... um has sort of weighed in on this great debate in anthropology as, as how humans evolved. There's this idea that people evolved in, in various sites around the world and then spread the genes intermixed, or that, or that there was this uh, out-of-Africa hypothesis that, that all modern humans came out of a rather recent migration, and, and I guess the Toba explosion plays into some of that. Yes, it does. While we think, and it's based on ocean cores and evidence from ice cores from uh, Greenland and Antarctica, that we have a handle on the global drop in temperature and also the drop in temperature in the equatorial zones. Toba itself, Sumatra, is just north of the equator. So its effects would be felt most strongly north, just north and south of the equator. And that's where a lot of the human population existed at that time. The tropical plant life would have been devastated. And those cold temperatures lasted for between five to ten years. And that's based upon fairly hard evidence from uh, Greenland ice cores, of all things. We're speaking with Dr. John Savino, author of Supervolcano, the catastrophic event that changed the course of human history. Uh, Dr. Savino, it, uh, this is not something that's confined to recent history, and, and the further back we look in the fossil record, the more evidence we find that these sort of supervolcano explosions and asteroid impacts seem to have... Uh, well, the smoking guns, really, and why the fossil record does these abrupt changes. Yes, exactly. One thing we point out and go into in the book are some of the, I would say, more recent super eruptions, and we have some of those in our own backyard, or perhaps in Sacramento and Big Bear Lake in our front yard. <laughs> Yellowstone National Park mm-hmm. is the site of some colossal super eruptions, the last one on the order of 630,000 years ago. And there are people who are saying it's on a cycle that would 
predict that it's it's due. It's due for a super eruption. But the one that uh, Marie and I really latched onto in our book, and it's for a combination of tectonic reasons, is the Long Valley Caldera. To folks maybe outside the listening area that aren't familiar with Long Valley, uh, California. It's about 240 miles north of L.A., 230 east of San Francisco, and about the same west of Las Vegas, kind of triangulated there. But it's also the rim of the caldera is the mammoth ski area Right. for a lot of the folks. Now, that last erupted 760,000 years ago, and the Long Valley caldera has shown a propensity to demonstrate unrest after earthquakes that occur not only in California, but also in Alaska. A fairly big earthquake in Alaska of 7.9 can cause micro-earthquakes to suddenly start to go off in Long Valley Caldera. So what we have done in the book is add a scenario that would trigger a violent eruption at Long Valley based on what I would refer to as a overdue great earthquake in Southern California along the San Andreas. That earthquake overdue is based on evidence that the people at Scripps have taken a look at. They looked at 20 years of data and they have come out with, I hate to use the word prediction, they did not do that, but they just pointed out that section of the fault going from north of Riverside, San Bernardino, down to perhaps the Mexican border, has not ruptured since 1690 and is building up for a great one. And what we do in the book is say, boy, if that goes, it's like a, a rifle just aimed at Long Valley called Eric, and it will excite unrest that will eventually lead to a mega eruption. This points out a very fascinating aspect about uh, about about this topic, and I'd also refer listeners to uh, the December 8th issue of New Scientist magazine, very much on this exact uh, topic about uh, asteroid impacts, mega eruptions, and mass extinctions. There seems to be kind of a one-two punch throughout the last, say, billion years on Earth, where there's evidence that maybe there was an asteroid followed by a lava eruption. People have thought even the disappearance of the dinosaur may be one such event. And uh, your book talks about how an impact... Or, or an event saying large earthquake might trigger something else. But you thought in the book that the best evidence indicates that maybe an asteroid impact could not actually cause a lava flow to begin. It's a hotly debated topic, as you might understand. But yes, indeed, there's a school of thought that uh, asteroid impacts can trigger what are called large igneous province eruptions. And these would be long-lasting basalt flows. And... Uh, the case of 65 million years ago, they have the Deccan Traps, a major, major flow of basalt that was occurring in, in the India region about the same time as yeah. the asteroid impact. So which, which occurred first? Chicken and the egg <laughs> problem. Going back to perhaps the biggest mass extinction ever, the mother of extinction, about 250 million years ago, we had the Siberian traps, huge outpourings of lava. And some people now are finding some evidence for a major asteroid impact about that time. 
Well, the research goes on, but it is, it is indeed an interesting, interesting topic. Uh, th- this article mentions something you talk about in the book as well, that if you have a big flow of lava and it goes out and, and basically finds, say, a coal seam, a gigantic coal seam, we may have in the past seen global warming as we're seeing today by introducing a lot of CO2 into the atmosphere. Yes, the Toba eruption itself, the initial effect from the Toba eruption that we really talk about quite a bit in the book, it produced a lot of ash. In terms of concentrations, a lot of water vapor, CO2, and SO2, silicon dioxide. Ash was shot up into the stratosphere. SO2 also went up into the stratosphere as well as CO2. The SO2 forms sulfuric acid aerosols, and that indeed is what is responsible for the, uh, what I would refer the relatively short-term, five to 10-year cooling effect. The ash has a very short-term cooling effect, mainly because it settles out of the atmosphere under gravity in a very short period of time. So it's the sulfuric aerosols that give us the five to 10-year real drop in temperature. But CO2 is a much longer lived atmospheric gas, it hangs around for a much longer period of time, and that indeed can kick in a warming influence once the aerosols come out of the stratosphere due to gravity. Well, temps can go up, temps can go down, ozone can get depleted. No matter how you shake it, it's a bad deal. Uh, it's a ba- <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, you know, I, I remember back in the early 90s, 1991, Mount Pinatubo blew up in the Philippines, and for years after that, we had lovely sunsets uh, uh, here in California and I'm sure all over the world. And a lot of people think that 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 may be sort of putting a dent in Al Gore's uh, climate graph that may have actually cooled us off for a couple of years. It did result in a cooling uh, predominantly in the northern hemisphere because it had a, I believe the latitude was on the order of 15 to 20 degrees north, further north than the Toba eruption. If a volcanic eruption starts to head for 30, 35 degrees north, now we're getting into the Yellowstone Long Valley type of latitude, the predominant effects will be in that hemisphere, northern hemisphere in that case. Not to say there, nothing will happen in the southern hemisphere, but it, it predominant effects in the northern hemisphere. But indeed, Pinatubo, yes, caused the cooling for about one to two years. But again, I would submit, you know, it kicked CO2 into the stratosphere. And I don't know of any results of what that would have done to global warming. Once the cooling effect, the short, very short-term cooling effect from that explosive eruption was over with. Uh, the other thing about Pinatubo, it produced an observable depletion of the ozone levels at mid-latitudes, which was quite striking. We're talking about over cities like Denver, Colorado. Observable depletions. And Pinatubo was a temple compared to an explosion like Toba or the last ones at Yellowstone and Long Valley. The book is Super Volcano, the catastrophic event that changed the course of human history. We're speaking with author Dr. John Savino. Uh, uh, Dr. Savino, your, your book has a scenario in there about Long Valley blowing up, which we probably won't go into a great length, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible scenario. And, and your book gives just a tiny example of a real-life event that happened about 10 million years ago. 
something not from a supervolcano, but from a volcanic explosion in Idaho that happened to cu- catch a bunch of uh, animals at a watering hole in Nebraska unawares. And, th- and we can still find the evidence of that uh, buried in, in, the, in the ash. Yes. When I first came across the Asphalt Beds website, I was just simply overwhelmed. The degree of preservation of the animals is, is phenomenal, and I would highly recommend everyone, Asphalt Beds, just Google on it and take a look at some of the, uh, the pictures that they have. Uh, amazing. What happened, and I devote the introduction to one of the chapters, I believe it's chapter 9, to what we think, you know, how the animals were probably drinking, swimming, and whatnot in a local watering hole. And rhinoceros were there at the time, and they pretty much dominated the watering hole. When they wanted to swim around, everybody else had to wait their turn. But when the ashes started coming over, and this was a, based on an eruption that was a, a predecessor to the Yellowstone eruptions. It was from the Snake River Plain, a point in Idaho at that time, that was over the hot spot that currently is under Yellowstone any case, that erupted. It sent an ash cloud thousands of miles to the east, prevailing winds. And these poor animals, giraffes, rhinos, camels, all kinds, over the course of a week to two weeks, that's the estimate, given the preservation of the bodies, they succumbed to what's known as a, pretty much, as a disease known as Marie's disease. This is where the glass shards, which comprise ash from volcanic explosions, again, the ash is very angular, cutting glass shards. They were breathing this ash, the animals. They were also drinking it from the watering holes. And the amazing thing is, in particular with the rhinos, they can see mother rhinos who died and the baby rhinos are still in a suckling position. The babies probably outlived the mothers because they were drinking milk. The mothers, unfortunately, were drinking contaminated water. They died first. The babies stayed in the suckling position. It's, a, it's an amazing story. Well, your, your book does have paint a scenario of what happened if Long Valley blew up, and it's it's. Some pretty funny comments about the people still at the gaming tables in Vegas, but... Uh... I actually, uh, I live in Las Vegas, and I'm also an amateur astronomer. Uh-huh. And I'm just waiting for some time if the lights would go out so I can see a star. <laughs> well, I hope it doesn't happen that way. No. <laughs> Where if, if, if Long Valley goes, we can pretty much, you can forget about your emergency preparations in the U.S. I think it's pretty much going to be something that we've, we couldn't even begin to imagine the likes of. Yes, I hate to think. I mean, we can't compare Contreta with something like a super volcano eruption, the aftermath. Well, final comment, Dr. Savino. I'd like to note that, uh, that these super volcano sites do make some pretty spectacular tourist attractions. I spent uh, uh, many days some years back on Samosir Island in, in Lake Toba, the remnants of the, of the volcanic explosion in Sumatra. I'd recommend it highly, along with, of course, Yellowstone, Long Valley, or even Lake Taupo in, uh, in, in New Zealand. I'm sure you'd join me in recommending those to people. Yes. The only one that I haven't been to that you mentioned is uh, the New Zealand site, but that looks like a very beautiful, serene lake 
unfortunately, that exploded 26,500 years ago. Yeah, sorry to say I only spent a few, a few minutes at a bus stop there when on the way down to the South Island, but I'll have to go back. We've been speaking with Dr. John Savino, co-author of Supervolcano, the catastrophic event that changed the course of human history. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Dr. Savino. Thank you very much. I'm afraid that about wraps it up for today's program. Our thanks to Dr. John Savino, as well as uh, Australian anesthetist Peter Donahue. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett, and you've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you again next week at the same time.